You are now in the zone. The zone with Taste Test Live. Hosted by Damien Lamar and Blue Francois. What's jazzing? What's jazzing? What's jazzing? <laughs> yeah. How you guys doing? All right. Yeah. How about you? I'm pretty good. <laughs> good. Never done this before. I'm excited. Welcome. Welcome. <laughs> so, hey, in case you guys are wondering, I'm Damian Lamar, host of Taste Test on WJCT 89.9 FM in Jacksonville. Taste Test is a weekly one-hour urban mix show that airs on Saturdays and Tuesdays at 11 p.m. Eastern. And I'm excited about today's guest, Ace Wynn, who is joining us in the studio today. Welcome. Good evening. Yes. Thank you for having me. I'm going to take a moment to introduce you momentarily, but I want to take a few moments to tell our first-time listeners what the podcast is all about. Every week on Taste Test Live podcast, we have a music discussion session where we usually highlight the happenings and entertainment. We also interview artists, singers, producers, entrepreneurs, and more. And for those individuals who like to be a guest on Taste Test uh, or the radio show, Taste Test Live or Taste Test, you can head over to tastetest.live and we strongly will consider bringing you on. So um, I'm going to take a quick moment and introduce our guest for this evening. Woo, but before, before I do, um, I'm sure you probably know that the voice of uh, our co-host, Blue Francois, is absent. I am not Blue Francois. I'm sorry. No, this is Autumn Lee. Autumn, <laughs> Hello. Autumn's our production assistant. Hello. And she's sitting in for Blue. There was a, a minor emergency yeah. on the, the night we're recording this, and Blue could not be with us. So, yeah. Blue, we hope you're okay. Yeah, hope you're um, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we hope that the person that you are riding with is okay. Yeah. And... Um, Godspeed. Yeah, good luck. Yeah. Yes. Good recovery. So um, I'm, I'm excited because I've had the privilege of um, of witnessing Ace Wind perform in Hemming Park. I, I think I was actually responsible for why you have a gig at Hemming Park. <laughs> Most definitely. So, Most definitely. Um, for those of you who do not know who Ace is, I'm going to read a little bit of his bio. Drifting, ascending guitar figures formed from the elemental tones of wood and wire that sing out acoustic music is how North Florida's Folio magazine describes unique sounds from Ace Wynn. He creates acoustic music for as long as he can remember. Ace made his solo debut more than 15 years ago, and since then, loyal fans have been enjoying his captivating performances in coffee houses and clubs throughout Florida. In early 1990s, before performing solo, Ace was a frontman for the psychedelic funk rock band Piwacket. Piwacket, hmm. <laughs> and decided to move in a different direction. He opted for the alternative, thoughtful lyrics over an unbelievable full sound of his acoustic guitar. Influenced by such performers such as Sting, Bill Withers, Cat Stevens, Ace inspired original compositions and that call upon virtually every genre of music, including rock, folk, reggae, gospel, jazz, and funk. The Florida Times Union also wrote the basics, an acoustic guitar, naked lyrics, and a voice that climbs the scales in magnificent style, nothing shy about it, stretching syllables out as if each word is being torn from him. The song speaks everyday life experiences of a musician raised in a southern town. Um, so we're going to dive a little bit more into uh, learning about Ace Wind, but I am extremely ecstatic. Wow, that bio is amazing. I can't yeah. wait to hear this and guy. That's I don't not know it. who I this know. Is. I know. It's okay. a, that's quite a list of accomplishments yeah, and I don't even I have not bio. even began to um to scratch the surface and I'm I'm hoping that you of course came by to not only share some music with us but also take us on the journey of what led you to become Ace Win. Yes. Yes. Um uh, where would you like me to begin? <laughs> I guess I should. Well, at the beginning. So, okay, did you grow up here in, in Jacksonville? I did. Born and raised in Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my mother, uh, my grandmother, and my great-grandmother. I call them the Trinity. Um, <laughs> they are the uh, they are responsible for the product that you see before you here today. Uh, my great-grandmother primarily was uh, the staple in my life. She was a, a businesswoman, and she owned a, uh, a mercantile in downtown uh, Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
some people wouldn't use that great word mercantile. They'd probably use liquor store, but uh, <laughs> it's a nice, a nicer way of putting it, yeah. mercantile. I know, right? I'm going to use my upper crust uh, speech here. And uh, so uh, that's where I would get my work ethic from. My mother, uh, I got my love of music, and uh, uh, I would like to say I have a big heart, but I got uh, I got that uh, caring and nurturing for people mm-hmm. and outgoingness. And, uh, you know, my grandmother, uh, she, was, she was a mixture of the two. Um, she was uh, mostly a church-going uh, person. And she had a hard work ethic as well, but she she loved the the party. So I kind of had this, you know. The Sounds dichotomy. like my grandmother. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Same. Yeah, they, and they live long, happy lives because yes, of it. So, yes. Yeah. My great grandmother, who raised me, not my grandmother, my great grandmother, she lived to a ripe old age of ninety six. Oh, nice. Wow. Beautiful. She was born nineteen uh, nineteen twelve. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, so so growing up in your household, what was it like? I mean, from uh, you, you've been playing music for for years, mm-hmm. obviously, but mm-hmm. when was your first experience? When when did you first knew, know that you were a musician? Well, th- that's uh, that's kind of difficult. I think my first clue was um, being in third grade, and I remember uh, at those times uh, in the early seventies, a uh, not early but uh, mid seventies, uh, music teachers had this thing called an otter harp. And uh, it is this funny sort of uh, triangle-looking harp that you would lay on your lap and you would press these buttons and strum it with a pick. Mm-hmm. And uh, they would come in uh, approximately 30 to 45 minutes, and that was your music session. You would stay in your classroom and everything else. You didn't go to uh, another room. And this particular day, she thought she would quiz everyone, and she uh, asked the difference between a high note and a low note. She strummed a chord and uh, she hit a note and she said, is that a high note or a low note? And I said, "Uh, that's a high note. And uh, she said, everyone in class that agrees with him and thinks that this is a high note, raise your hand. No one raised their hand. And then she said, I'll do it again. So she hits a note again and she says, is that the high note? And uh, I no one raised their hand. I raised my hand. I said, that's the high note. And she said, I'm going to ask one more time. She did, and no one raised their hand. And she said, young man, you're the only one that's correct. The only one. Wow. I was the correct. only one in the classroom for about 30 kids. That was my, uh, you, you don't know in third grade if that is the epiphany or if that's going to be your signal. But, but your teacher knew. Yeah, but that sounds like an epiphany. She knew. She knew. Definitely uh, sounds like a signal. You know, you looking sure. back, it's so much yeah. easier to dissect mm-hmm. the, the things that happened in your life to lead you, that, that lead you to whatever. Anyway, uh, you know, I was hanging out. I was in the, uh, in the downtown area. Uh, not too far from Durkeyville, close by Kings Road by the post office. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was kind of hanging out with some 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 young men in that area and I want and and right around this time, uh, I think Big Daddy Kane had come out. Uh, Eric Eric B Rakim oh yeah were out. And so there was uh, there was the shift between sing song rap from Kumo D mm-hmm. or uh, you know, um, Gosh, the name escaped me right now. But uh, you would have these uh, sing-song rappers who emerged from hip-hop, and then you had this emergence with Eric B. So anyone that was a singer, we kind of, you know, you were switching back and forth between these two genres. So I fancied myself <laughs> a rapper, and I was hanging out with these guys. <laughs> and um, But every time I tried to rap, they they wanted me to, to do a hook or a melody yeah. in between. Uh, but because uh, you had that, you had that gift. Yeah, of course. Uh huh. I'm not thinking. I didn't know it. Anyway, these guys, a uh, couple of friends of mine, they introduced me to another young man. His name was Robert, uh, and Robert was a drummer. And uh, Robert had all of these instruments in his home. His uh, parent, his father, was a part of a uh, R&B group, and he played guitar. Mm-hmm. So his mm. entire house was just full of these instruments and I thought it was the most amazing thing in the world you know and um, I went over with uh, my buddies who were in this rap group and we're talking to Robert 
And, uh, you know, they were just being silly or whatnot. And him and I were kind of quiet, but we kept locking eyes on each other. And it was kind of like, you know, what, you know, these guys are just you know, really not getting what they're talking about. They're yeah. just being ridiculous. So I said to him, I walked over him and I said, would you mind if I came over without them tomorrow? And he was like, that would be great. Came over the next day. Uh, he picked up, he had a bass guitar in the corner and a couple of other things. And, uh, uh, we started playing around and, you know, we were just kind of trying to sing or whatnot, but he was an amazing drummer, even at 13 years old. His father hears us. He comes in, shakes my hand. He says, you seem like a nice young man. You should come over more often. Mm -hmm. Well, I started going over there every day (laughs) (laughs) to have rehearsal. Yeah. Maybe a year into it. Uh, his father said, hey, you know, you guys, I keep hearing you practice. Do you want to come and uh, play in uh, my band? And, huh. you know, I was a skinny pencil neck kid, gigantic Adam's apple. You know? <laughs> I was like, sure, I'll be happy to do that. Anyway, uh, so we came in and um, he says, uh, what do you do? And I said, uh, I don't know. What would you like me to do? <laughs> and he looks at me and he says, uh, you know, it's, I've been hearing you every night from my bedroom wall. You're a singer. You need to sing. Yeah. And I was like, oh, wow, that was so nice of you to say I will try. <laughs> <laughs> but he's heard you. So he funny. heard me. Yeah. He heard me. And mm-hmm. uh, so we started doing all these R&B uh, songs and everything else. But I was on this emergence, I think, uh, uh, right after that time, uh, Prince had come out. The time was out. Uh uh, I was a big Queen fan. I loved Queen. Oh I loved gosh. Freddie Mercury's voice. I love I was, Freddie Mercury. And yeah. I was inundated with these two bands, other than uh, The Time and Prince, and that was Men at Work and The Police. Mm-hmm. Two mm-hmm. of my other favorite bands. <laughs> and, I am um, a sucker for the 80s. Yeah, I am too. So uh, I wanted to. I wanted to try some of these songs. And I kept telling, you know, uh, Robert's father bound him and everything else. And one day he just kind of looked at me real stern. He goes, if you want to play that music, then you get an instrument and you learn how to play it and then you play it. I was so mad. at I was 15 wow. at the time. I was yeah. so mad at him for saying that to me. You know, but he's an adult. You know, yeah. you don't you don't tell yeah. a forty year old black man you're not gonna yeah, you're fifteen. No, that right. was not yeah. gonna that, go that well. Wasn't an option, not gonna yeah. go That's well, a, baby. Yes, yeah. sir. I'll do. I'll I'll get a guitar. So I went out, cut some uh, cut some yards, and uh, I bought my first bass guitar. And the first thing I learned was four chords, and I learned um, "Message in a Bottle." Ha ha. Yeah. And um, sting. Yeah. And. Uh, so I just, those four chords, I just over and over and over and over. And uh, then when I thought I got good enough, you know, or well enough, I learned it well enough, I, I went in uh, to the back room. They had this den and there were drums and keyboards and uh, older guys from uh, Robert's father's band. And, uh, you know, I said, uh, well, let's try this song. And uh, I queued it up so they got the drum part and everything else and, I started playing bass and uh, I sung the song and uh, the band, we all stopped and uh, the older guys kind of looking around, you know, giving everybody a high five and um, they were like, oh, that was really good. And I just kind of, you know, I had these slant, angry yeah. eyes looking yeah. at him and I was like, see, I did it. And he just laughed, you know, he just thought it was the funniest <laughs> and he took a sip of his beer. He goes, I knew you'd do it. I just had to piss you off enough. Yep. So you would do it. And uh-huh. then he said, welcome. Then I was angry that he fooled me. Right. <laughs> you know, he was that <laughs> right. intelligent yeah. to know what Reverse would push psychology. me. Yeah, 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 he got you. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, uh, from that, I uh, I moved to uh, keyboards, drums. And the very last thing I picked up was guitar. Um, that was the very last thing you picked up. That was the very last thing I picked up. Why do you think up. that is? Uh, well, funny story. When I was a little guy. Uh, I guess around uh, eight, uh, eight, nine. Uh, I asked for a guitar for Christmas um, because uh, the Delirious album by Prince had just come out. Mm. Mm. And um, I had just heard that and I thought it was uh, amazing. 
And uh, I want to say it's in between that and Little Red Corvette because the emergence of MTV was out. Yeah. But I wanted a rock guitar, you know. <laughs> so I told my grandmother and I told my mom and I told my great-grandmother, you got to get me this rock guitar. Uh, comes Christmas morning, there is this acoustic guitar <laughs> under the tree. Acoustic. Yeah. I was Not furious. I was on Christmas, furious. Like, yeah, I was like, but they you viewed just it. I'm sure they viewed it as you being like completely ungrateful. Yes, of course, you know, and uh, <laughs> but, you know, I had to bite the bullet. I was like, they don't know what I'm talking about, rock guitar, right? And, they, and that's all it was because they. I think they, if they knew, yeah, yeah. This, this reminds the me difference. of a story about my childhood. So I picked the guitar up. I played maybe two, you know, plucked a couple of strings, threw it in the corner. That Christmas, our home burned down. Oh, yeah. Goodness. Oh wow. Yeah. Back then we uh we it was emergence of central heat and air mm-hmm. and things hadn't gone fully electric. So we had this central heat and air that was uh primarily based off of kerosene. Mm-hmm. And they would have to come over and fill it up and then later went to gas or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the thing was wow. rickety and the house uh caught fire and that guitar got burned up along with a lot of lo- other uh things. Uh, from my childhood, but I digress. But uh, <laughs> the, anyway, the, the guitar. Yeah, guitar. Uh, I started strumming guitar because it was easier to form melodies that had a fuller sound. Mm-hmm. So if I wanted to write or do songs, it was probably mm-hmm. going to be on this thing. So you you prefer guitar like songwriting? You prefer to write with guitar over piano, even though you know how to play piano. Well, I know enough to to fake it. Uh, to fake piano. Okay. I'm not by any means a uh, pianist or a keyboardist. I can, you know, I can hold a hold a few chords. You can to, do some stuff in the studio and some charts and well, stuff. Well, of course, okay. that's that's uh-huh. differently. Okay. You know, um, studio magic is a different yeah. creature. Um, but I don't want to jump over this because this is very weird. I went from doing that to uh, getting in an R&B band with my buddy Robert, and the name of that band was called Silk. Now that preceded the silk that everybody else yeah. knows. Meeting in my the, bedroom silk. Yeah, yeah, not not uh, that not right. that silk. <laughs> Got in this band. We did a uh, a high school band competition, and we won that competition. Uh, and uh, uh, funny story is uh, the name I got uh, Ace Win. That's not a birth name. Mm-hmm. That's a, a nickname. Uh, my buddy. Uh, uh, Robert, is, you know, I love him to death, but he, he loves jokes. My father, who I didn't get to see very much, was a Marine. He loved gambling. So he bought me all of these card shirts. And because I love my dad, I would wear them all the time. So you and Ace. they always had the symbol on it. So it became this big joke. Yeah. Oh, here comes Ace. You know, so that started in the hood. That's where I got the term Ace from. At the time, Robert was dating uh this Vietnamese girl, and her last name was Nguyen. Well, it he, wasn't spelled that way, as we <laughs> no, know. No, 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 it was not. <laughs> N-G. <laughs> and he did one of those things, you know, you need to do a brother a favor. You need to do me a solid. And I'm like, what oh, do you need on, me man. to do? He oh, goes, well, her sister, um, she's always tagging along. I need someone to come along, be the wingman. I need you to take her out. So he made you to be Nguyen. He wait, wait, be, wait, oh, yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. Don't don't oh, jump the story. No. This is this is good. This is oh. great uh, food for fodder. Oh. We go out, and um, anyway, she's very nice. I thought she was, an, you know, nice young lady. Um, no sparks, no connection there for me. But um, we went out later on. Uh, they're on the phone and they're talking, going back and forth. Uh, he's talking to his girlfriend, and the sister tells him that she really likes me and she could see herself marrying me. And he says to me, he goes, well, you know, you probably wouldn't be the man that she thinks you are. You'd have to take her last name. You'd be Ace Win." <laughs> and, you know, after I smacked him around the bedroom a couple of times, you know, just being guys, you know, it's kind of, you know, uh, no big deal. Anyway, we go on, we go to this band competition. And uh, it's the first time on a live stage, you know, tons of high school kids there. And I want to say, um, and I hope I get this right, um, 
right there by the Beaver Street uh, Viaduct, mm-hmm. there's a seventh or sixth grade center. Um, uh, SP Livingston. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. And that's where they had all of these schools converge uh-huh. and go. You know, there's some folks from Rebalt, some folks from uh, Jackson and Rains and all these other places. And, you know, if you were in a band at the time, we all came there and we had this competition. Anyway, long story short, we won. Principal of the school comes up and says, oh, you guys did great and everything else. What's your name, young man? Robert stands up from the back of the drum set and says, his name is Ace Wynn. Everyone falls out. The next day, it's in the school paper. Oh, Everyone's talking about man. in the hood. What an amazing story. I've been Hilarious. ace win ever since that day. Does the girl My know? My goodness, I never knew that. I've been ace win ever since that day. I, so. I wonder if the girl knows that <laughs> about all Yeah, this. does she know? <laughs> mm. Well, I'm sure she has an idea. Yeah. Well, if you're listening, mystery, mystery girl. Yeah. Now you know. She's probably thinking, that's not how I spell my name. <laughs> no, spelled it, no wrong. it's not. But you, as you know, there were many Win Dixies in the hood. Yeah. That's how they spell Win Dixie. Exactly. Exactly. And that's how it appeared in the paper, my friend. So, so W I N N. Yes. Um, so listen, you you've done some work where in nineteen ninety three you were featured on this uh this acoustic music album by mm-hmm. the name of Kitchen Sessions. Right. What was it like? What what led up to that? Um Prior to that, I was uh, in a uh, a funk punk band called Piewacket. Uh, we toured most of the parts of uh, Florida, North and South. Uh, real big uh, following, tons of teenagers. Um, we had a really good uh, run in the alternative circuit. Um, we opened up for bands like Living Color, 24-7 Spies. Uh, we also opened up for uh, Follow For Now, Many, many great sub-pop groups. Uh, one of my favorites uh, we got to open up for was Soundgarden. Oh, I saw Soundgarden yeah. a few years ago. Yeah, and what was great for me, it was right during the uh, uh, Bad Motorfinger album, and I loved that album. And um, uh, so I got to, to meet them, and I got to meet a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of sub-pop guys during that time bands like Mud Honey and so forth and so on. But uh, I was doing that, and me and the guys in Piwacket, we were just, we were at this point to where we were all really good friends, and we thought we made good music, but um, Jacksonville was this extremely racist town. Uh, Here you are with me being the front man. I was an African-American front man. I had a Korean guitarist. Mm-hmm. I had, a, but you said you were you was an African American. <laughs> well, I mean, no, you're not African American anymore. <laughs> yeah, I go in and out the Spurs. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm black today. Tomorrow I'll be African American. <laughs> but um, uh, and uh, I had these two brothers, and and uh, they're both from Kuwait. One was actually uh, the mother was, on, if I'm not mistaken, she gave birth to to the drummer, Ray, uh, uh, in Iraq. So I got, that's my band, mm-hmm. this complete racial. Uh, Super diverse. Yeah. yeah. And this was late 80s. And um, one of the clubs we used to hang out all the time uh, was Einstein and Go-Go. And there were all of these great kids who went there to listen to really, uh, really good music and emerging music that was soon to become uh you know, they called it alternative, but it was sub pop. And there were mm-hmm. so many of these different things, but it was this emergence. But every time you would go there, there would be this gigantic group of skinheads mm-hmm. over to the side. So you would I mean, that was the 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 dynamic at that time. Uh, there were a lot of places you couldn't go. I had a lot of friends in Ocean Way. There are certain parts of Ocean Way we couldn't go in. Uh, there were certain parts of Mandarin and other places that we weren't, you know, we just weren't uh, seen either as equals or, you know, the threat of violence. But having said that, our key demographic and market for music was uh, predominantly white. Right. You know, yeah, yeah. we were singing about um, uh, Burani and cornbread and hot sauce and mm-hmm. so we had this kind of southern kind of funk feel you know yeah. um 
and the only way I can describe that is if you actually listen to the music. Uh, uh, it's, it's just as, as colorful. It's just as colorful sounding as the demographic of the band. Having said that, we weren't really going anywhere. We were at a stalemate uh, with everybody's lives in their careers. And uh, I had just started playing acoustic guitar in coffee shops um, at a couple of open mic nights. And I met this guy named Tom, his older gentleman, and uh, uh, he befriended me. And I started hanging out at his home and I just started writing songs. And he just had, he was a school teacher and uh, he just nurtured and encouraged me until I got up enough courage to start writing my own songs. Mm -hmm. And I had no backing band and just me and a guitar. And then uh, I was invited by Craig Spirico, a wonderful guy. And uh, a lot of the folks from the Five Points in Riverside and Avondale area who uh, were doing folk music, Lauren Fincham, yes. Craig Spirico. Mm -hmm. so Christina Wagner. <clears throat> yes, mm -hmm. yes. Mm -hmm. Christina Wagner, Jennifer Chase. Mm -hmm. uh, I could name many, many more. And forgive me if I didn't bring your names up. Uh, uh, great people. Wonderful, warm people, just just open and willing to accept individuals for uh, who they are, yeah, not mm -hmm. uh, what they look like. That's, or, that's that's beautiful to me because I think as a as a musician, you really, and I, and I can I think I can say this being a musician, mm. all you want to do it's really about the art. All yeah. you want to mm -hmm. do is make yeah. the music. Mm. It, Definitely, it, mm -hmm. music transcends color. It it transcends religion. It transcends. Mm -hmm. You know, ethnic background, you know, everything. Like, yeah. I can listen to a song in French and still feel yeah. you know, emotional about mm -hmm. something, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but it's nice that that platform was given. You had yeah. an right, opportunity right, to. Right, right. And, and it's nice to have that in our community, well, it's, the, it's, the camaraderie. It's interesting know? because, like, I'm really into, like, the local, like, punk music. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting hearing about every like the other sides of it too mm -hmm. like the R&B side right. the blues side like all of it it's like crazy how interconnected all of these mm -hmm. places are like how we were talking the other day we used to hang out at the same venue yeah didn't know it two I different two different points two you different know, worlds I, w I went when it was London Bridge Pub she went when it was the Borough Bar yeah so it's like <laughs> very <laughs> interesting now it's scene. a building that's sitting there waiting for someone to take, a, take it on and yeah. create something else with yeah. this you know yeah. with that space it's very interesting seeing how like just like these even like with venues and stuff these specific buildings like mm -hmm. house all of these people and now mm -hmm. i'm like getting to meet every it's just it's cool yeah and i, I think that's a wonderful thing and i think your generation mm -hmm. has a more open <laughs> open platform and uh during my generation a lot of things were closed off um we had in in right where I live, we had this this one outing called Skate City. Oh yes, and, <laughs> and this is not the new skate because there's a new they skate just city they just, just opened. opened a new one. This is no. the one on Sutel. Yeah, the this is the one on Sutel. Yeah, and uh, you know, if you were going to meet a young lady or mm -hmm. you were going to have whatever experiences in the black community during that period of time. That was one of the key places mm -hmm. to do it. And I always felt like, you know, I would venture into that sort of area and space, and I never felt, like, totally at home. Mm. I felt as though this is, this is great, but, you know, this isn't me, mm -hmm. you know, that sort of thing. And so when I found this community in... Uh, in Riverside and Avondale, and and I start exploring all these different kinds of music. I was just into the things that moved me, not mm -hmm. so much, you know, did this person uh, look like me, or yeah. or you know, or does this person date someone like me, or anything else. That never, uh, that never was an issue for me. Whereas in society at that point in time, everything was boxed off, you know. Mm -hmm. Black, white, gay, straight, whatever. You had all these demographics. Yeah. And um, I never found it to be an issue for me to deal with a human being as a human being. Mm. 
male, female, whatever. And that is what I wanted to bring out in my music. But I did feel that sort of alienation, that not belonging. And then when I started finding out about, you know, musicians, uh, Sting did an album after he left uh, the police, and it was called Dream of the Blue Turtles. Yes. And on that album, he had some of the most amazing musicians I'd ever heard in my life. He had Branford Marcellus on that album. He had Kenny Kirkland on that album, you know, and he had Omar Hakim on drums. And for whatever reason, I hadn't heard these amazing, amazing musicians, but he found a way and he had trials and errors getting these guys uh, to work together. He found a way to make it all work and it's this great collage, but through being a fan of Sting, I was then immersed into this world that I never knew exists. No one had brought it to my attention. Uh, we didn't have internet the way we do now. And uh, uh, so I had to do this research. So all these colors start to emerge in my head. People like Nina Simone and, um, you know, and so many others that had done so many great things. And all of a sudden I didn't feel alone. You know, I felt, and I saw someone like Nina Simone. She's not a traditional, what you would call a soul or a, uh, uh, she, you can't pigeonhole her like that. At she all, was right? so various and outspoken. She was a, uh, a pioneer of her time. And then uh, we had this wonderful group uh, that came out uh, during this emergence of time, like early 90s. Uh, I already talked about Living Color. There were bones like, uh, I'm sorry, there were bands like Fishbone, 24-7 Spies. Uh, and then in the hip-hop community, we had Debrat. We also had, that. nothing about Debrat was conventional. Mm -hmm. Right. Nothing about nothing. them was, was conventional, you know. Uh, you know, we always had Prince. But he was that uh, he was that wild card. Man, yeah. yeah. Sure. He was the, he you was, took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah, he was a wild card. Everyone accepted him. No one looked mm -hmm. at Prince like, okay, he does. He, Regardless he just, of what music. Yeah, everyone's went, okay, he belongs to yeah, us. To, you know? to this day, I've never met a single yeah. person who doesn't like Prince. Mm -hmm. They may not like a particular song. Yeah. Or they, they may not have heard of all of his songs but, because there's so yeah. many. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, so, Ace, I got a quick question because mm -hmm. um, I, I am a fan or have been a fan long time ago. And I did not know this, but re reading your bio and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. getting getting music from you for the show. You were with a band by the name of Christopher. <laughs> yes. I'm going to I'm going to set the story up because I grew up in a very, um, very, very religious spiritual household, you know, coming from Baptist to Pentecostal mm -hmm. to more of a non-denominational type and, you know, was involved in praise and worship and the performing arts team on, at church and Christ the Far Eye we would listen to quite often along with Crystal Lewis and John Gibson and Angelo and Veronica and, and several different other artists uh, commission. Mm -hmm. um, and you, you made, you recorded five albums with them? Yes. I'm the most recorded artist uh, in Christafari's history as far as consecutive albums go, yes. That's impressive. Wow. Yeah. So from 1997 to 2005, mm -hmm. and um, if you would set the next track up, Love of My Life, I'd like to play that. <laughs> yeah. So can you can you tell us a little bit what, about what led to that track? Uh, Mark and I were, were just uh, hanging out, and I had this idea of what if we made a love song? still to to edify and stay in that genre of of religion but edify uh the one that that you love that you know is right for you and whatever it takes you're going to uh stick to your faith and your beliefs and honor this person and uh so i started uh, i just picked up my guitar and i i started writing and i came up with uh with this melody uh I'm a middle C guy, so when I write songs, I kind of come back to that portion or that segment on guitar that has a timbre for my voice where I can start off in a mid-range, sort of my talking range, right? Mm -hmm. 
and then I can go up two to three octaves above that. Yeah. Middle C always does that for me. So that's where I came up with the the hook. Oh, my Lord, give me the love of my life, you know. Yeah. And I, I do a lot of other things in there. Uh, but uh, that's where that hook came from. So Mark and I just sat down and he started uh, writing uh, lyrics and so did I. But the hook was the was the main thing. We constructed it around, around that. the hook. Yeah. And we recorded that album in uh, Kitty Wells studio in Nashville, Tennessee. And it was a, a beautifully, beautifully antiquated and antique place. Uh, we had reel to reel. We had this gigantic mixer board with fader knobs and everything else. Nothing was digital about that recording. Oh, analog. Yeah. Everyone came in, uh, guitar amps, mic the amps, and the drum set and so forth and so on. That that album is about as roots as you can get to be recorded. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's check it out. Here is Love of My Life by Christafari on Taste Test Live. Have a taste.
kind of blown away because I have listened to Christ of Far Right I I attended a concert at Mm. New Covenant Ministries back in the (laughs) 90s probably witnessed you in all of your glory that's when you did not know you were the lead singer yeah and now look at you and I had if I had only (laughs) known you know 20 years later I'll be sitting down having a conversation with this guy I probably wouldn't have believed it it's funny how the world works yeah yeah. So uh, that's 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 really good. That's that's great. So after you work with Christ of Farai and you did the five year stint mm-hmm. with them, what was next for Ace Wayne? Uh, well, uh, at the time I was teaching. And um, just going through life, I just had a son. My son was born in ninety nine. And in between that, I was working at a bank, you know, doing that whole thing of being on the road, writing, recording, and being married and having a home and trying to have a stable life. Many people don't don't know the in and ins and outs of record deals, working with producers and musicians. record labels, <laughs> other musicians. <laughs> Christ Safari was a very large band. This is a reggae band. Reggae bands can be as small as five people and as large as 15. Yeah. Wow. You know. Yeah. And here you have this band that's during, doing Christian music, uh, but it, it's reggae. Mm-hmm. So you're not Rastafarian. Mm-mm. And you're going into these, I don't want to say uh, closed-minded communities, but, you know, we all have our belief systems and we, uh, we, we, get, we get caught up in them. But here we are, you're showing up. A lot of folks would say things like, oh, yeah, you guys smoke pot. And you're like, no, no. you don't have to smoke pot to like reggae. Right. You don't ha- it's, it's, it's music. And, you know, we would do that. We actually did a concert at Brigham Young University. It, it was horrifying. It was absolutely horrifying. It was during that time where they had the big controversy against interracial marriages mm-hmm. and same-sex marriages and all of these things. Here we are, 10 people. I want to say eight to 10 guys in a van, uh, predominantly white guys in the band. The leader of the band, which is Mark Moore, his wife's black. I'm black. You know, uh, my wife was not black. Um, and we have the, these other guys and we're doing reggae music and we're driving into this, uh, city. We had another guitarist at the time, uh, who, who was black as well. His wife was black and we're just this hippie looking reggae band in this U-Haul and these, you know, with all of this equipment and everything else. And we started going down at the time. I didn't know anything about Mormons. I'd heard about them all my life. I, I didn't do any research or anything else. And here we are pulling into Salt Lake city. And I stopped off on the side of the road and, uh, paying for gas. And I walked in and there's this pamphlet on the Mormon church. And I started just kind of perusing it. And some of the beliefs that, uh, the university had at that time, and 
by the time Mark and some of the guys had filled up the vehicles, I was I ran outside going, guys, did you read this pamphlet? Do you know where we're going? We're going to die. <laughs> we're all going to get lynched at a university. This is not going to be good. And, uh, you know, so uh, I, you know, I, I, I started reading this out loud on the bus. Uh, not the bus, but uh, in one of the vans. And uh, we, they start relaying it. Did you think they were, like, baiting you to come there? Like, well, you just didn't like, know. You we didn't, didn't know. know. And I asked Mark, I said, Mark, did you do any research before you decided that we we're going to take support? He's like, all I know is we're doing it for the right reason and we're doing the most time. Oh, yeah. You know, he's that kind of guy. He's like, charge in and ask questions later, you know, yeah, yeah. ask questions later. So uh, we get there, and uh, as soon as we get there, the faculty meets us, and they go, whatever you do, don't say this, don't do that, and by no means do you speak the name of the Most High, da-da-da-da. And Mark, you know, he's got his dreadlocks, and he's rocking back in the chair. He's like, yeah, right, whatever, I hear you. And, you know, my eyes are gigantic at yeah. this point, and I'm yeah. going, how many people are on this campus? Are we going to make it out of this alive? You know? <laughs> and, uh, for I, can, exit, I can get like, myself out right, of this. Right. I can't save you guys. I just I'm just I want you to know. That's Every right. man for yeah. himself. You know. Like. So anyway, we get up on uh, stage and we start performing. And uh, there is this guy that's there the whole performance. I kid you not. He's standing up with this banner that says, Christafari smokes marijuana. Oh, wow. He <laughs> and took the so seed much time of the devil. Put it together. He's holding oh, it up. Man. And so yeah. I want to say maybe the third or fourth song, I lost it. I just, I went complete AWOL. I just, I just lost it. And I scream out, we don't do any drugs. We've never done any drugs. And, and this is how it is. And you don't know what you're talking about. The whole auditorium went wild. Maybe 2,000 kids yeah. went wild. That guy rolled up his little sign. <laughs> walked. Out. Mark looks over at me like, what did you just do? I was being radical. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, I kind of put my head down on the microphone going, I'm really sorry, Mom. I, I lost my mind. You know, just, but uh, concert was amazing. Yeah. They loved us. Um, I think they yeah, all like it was, it was okay. What you know, and when I'm getting, if I were one of the teenagers at that time, mm -hmm. you get your favorite band mm -hmm. and like, mm -hmm. oh my God, he he broke. Yeah. he's showing us his, his authenticity. Uh -huh. He's real. Mm -hmm. He had enough. Well, it makes you like they, the band no longer is a band. They're people, right? In the band, that's like, when you break that you, barrier. Yeah, like yeah, there's that connect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. Yeah, that was uh, th that's just some of the things. So, of what so it was like I got one we one last question before I ask you to play some music for us because we've been waiting so long so to hear you play live. Mm. Um, I find it very interesting that you solely are you're you're a musician one hundred percent. Tell us, tell our listeners what it must be like or what it was like for you to make the decision to walk away from your bank job, the corporate America job, benefits. <laughs> what is that like and how has that how has that ride been for you? What are some of your takeaways? Terrifying. Um, <laughs> it it was and um, you know um, in the practice that I do now and uh, the belief system that I have uh, really came to a head and that's that's why I love uh, what I do now. But I was uh, at, an, at a point to where I was in corporate America and, you know, things weren't going as well as I wanted them to. You had the emergence of young people coming in, getting paid far less than someone who is older and has more experience and so forth and so on. That sort of dynamic in the American workplace right now, uh, cutting corners, to get, to get whatever they need to get through, but having young people do things for far, far less, mm. even though they may have the skills, mm -hmm. you know. When you're an older person and you have tenure in a workplace, uh, they, you start becoming this, you know, this, this sack of money 
that they're looking at. You're just you're just a figure. You're a yeah. figure on paper. Uh, you've done this for X amount of years. You've you've been a teacher. You've organized this. You've done this, so forth and so on. So this stacks up in an impressive resume with age behind it is not looked at as a very valuable thing in today's society and our economic system. It just isn't. Mm -hmm. Uh, Older people have a wealth of knowledge. They know how to run things. They have experience and so forth and so on. Younger people are on the cutting edge. They're they're coming out of college and Mm -hmm. high school. They know about new technologies and so forth and so on. They do not, however, have the wisdom that comes with doing these things in a workplace for so long. AKA so, experience. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So you have, you have their, their give and takes. When I see a young person in management, let's say uh, early 20, 20, 23, 24, and they're over five, 600 people or 1,500 people, and I'm going, this company is trying to save money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This company doesn't care whether they bury themselves today or tomorrow. Mm -hmm. That person that is doing the hiring is going, I'm here for a short period of time. I want to make the stats look good, and I want to get out. And and that's how uh, corporate America is structured. So I was in a particular predicament where things weren't going too well, and um, I got downsized in the position I was in. And in the interim of looking for for work, I've always done music and I've done music on the side and I've sort of done it full time when I was younger. But um, I'm an older man now. And uh, so I just went, you know. I'm doing this interview. I'm doing that. I'm doing this. I'm just going to go for it full time. And I started putting together what I considered to be. Music that wasn't what everyone else was playing and presented in a way that was unique. I don't do a song the exact way an artist would have written that song. I do it the way I would sing it Mm -hmm. in the way, in the key with the rhythm or anything else. When you take a song and you cover a song and you do it exactly the way the former artist did it, you're not paying homage to that artist and you are not, you're not evolving or doing anything different. You're not giving the audience anything that they can can really feast on. Right. Mm-hmm. When you take something and you make it your own, they then have to interpret it and say, I have to accept what this individual has done on this plat- palette in the way that he, has, he or she presented it. Mm-hmm. I can either reject it mm-hmm. or fully embrace it. So in a way, it can be it can be frightening. But at the same time, I went, I'm just going to do this. So I immediately went out and, you know, started getting my feet wet in social media. By the way, I hate social media. I really do. And I you say too. that, yeah. And, and I say that in the, in the vein that uh, it is this ugly It's a necessary beast. evil. It it's is. Definitely. It is. Yeah. But it's in its infancy. So mm-hmm. we don't have laws. We don't have, mm-hmm. we don't have the litmus of a conscious society to say, I'm not going to believe this because, mm-hmm. yeah, it, whatever. We don't have that litmus. Mm-hmm. As soon as it hits whatever, we're like, oh, mm-hmm. my gosh, that is the gospel. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. we become this thing. And that that whole thing, I'm, I even hate texting. Texts <laughs> always can be misconstrued. Yeah, yeah. and, and there's auto to, autocorrect, too. Oh, Let's yeah. not talk about autocorrect. Yeah. The last thing I'm going to say to stay on topic on that is that uh, once I started doing that, and uh, in the uh, system that I do now, uh, which is faith and action, is setting a goal, aligning it with the universe, and then making it happen. Mm-hmm. You, you are God and the devil and yeah. everything. Wow. It, it all exists in you. Absolutely. You write your script for the world. You... Tell the story. That's right. You tell the story. You are the driver. There's no one else. Mm-hmm. Good and bad, both. All things that come to you, all things that that you either accept, you deny, or anything else. I think Thomas Edison said it best. Uh, I don't care for Thomas Edison too much, so <laughs> I, if I'm quoting him, you know it's going to be deep. 
Thomas Edison said, whether you say you can or you cannot, you are correct. Absolutely. Wow. Completely true. Yeah. So I put that into practice. Mm -hmm. And I focused and made my dreams through my prayers come true. And every day I wake up and I'm thankful for this beautiful woman I have in my life, for uh, all of the benefits I have, and to be able to do this wonderful thing, make mm -hmm. music, and make other people happy. Yeah. You know, it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, it's it's a true testament. I read this book probably now, maybe ten to fourteen years ago, called The Artist's Way, and mm -hmm. I don't know the 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 the, the author. Mm -hmm. But those of you who are listening, the artist way, any struggling artist, anyone that is questioning their artistry and whether or not they walk away from the cushy, comfortable <laughs> corporate America, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. I read the book and I was terrified. I was terrified because really? I it, it was calling me for to just do that, walk away, you know, like take a risk. Yeah. And at the time when I was reading the book, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to take risks. Mm -hmm. You know, I kind of like the way my 401k and all my, you know, all, all this other stuff <laughs> that I had been saving all along. I kind of looked, you know, like I was like, no, my retirement is more important. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was where I was. And, you know, when you look back, if I had only adhered to what the book was, you, you journal, you get up, you write, you free, write mm -hmm. free consciousness every day, you know, and you you create this this path to your freedom. So it's to be commended, an artist that can walk away, like you say, faith in action. Literally, mm -hmm. that's all you have. Yes. And, you know, I, I kind of attribute it to how the analogy of how birds the, or wildlife, for that matter, specifically birds, they fly out in the morning. They, they don't just, know where they're going. They don't know where they're going, but guess what? They eat. They go somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I was, you know, in my restroom, I was like cleaning the, I just, cleaning the tub and looking up and all of a sudden I, I see this tree and there's these little berries on this tree and it was copious amounts of red robins. Mm -hmm. They were feasting. Mm -hmm. None of them thought that morning when I go out today, I'm not going to find any food. Mm. No, they or there's not going to be enough. Yes. They, they just, they make the first action. Mm -hmm. They mm -hmm. get up and they go. Yeah. And they eat. The other thing that birds do, mm -hmm. if you observe them, they all congregate at a certain time of day. They do. Yeah. Birds don't fly at night. This is true. I've never noticed that. They don't fly they, at night. Because the majority they, they, of for for prey. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. a lot and of predators. Predators are out there. Predatory. There's other. There, there are birds that fly at night, but yeah. they're usually the ones that eat like other the birds. owls I've, and yeah, I've just like never noticed that birds just disappear at night. Like they you do. don't see them. You don't see them. Mm -hmm. Wow. My point is, and then every morning there is no bird that doesn't get up with the other birds. Yeah. At that time, they have a regiment. They congregate and then they go out. So that is a system that they are following, and they're consistent about it. They're beasts. I have an admiration that is beyond anything else for people that I call machines. Mm -hmm. They can systematically do a thing with such tenacity mm -hmm. and such faith. They don't deviate. Me, I'm I'm left, right, upside down, left, right. Yeah. And then I have to convince myself to get back on point. And convincing yourself to stay on point and to finish that race, to pass the baton, is the single most, uh, it is the thing that drives you to be either, you know, the winner in a race mm -hmm. or ultimately the loser. Consistency yeah. is key. Mm. It's true. Well, thank you for sharing. Um, I have in, really, really enjoyed this last hour, and I'm being selfish now. Yeah, I know. I think it's time for some live music, it's don't time. you? Anna? I think it's time. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna I'm take ready. a quick break, and we're gonna we're gonna cut and play some some music from Powacket. <laughs> Oh this 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 goes back. I'm excited. Yeah, we're gonna play a little bit of that while we set up and get ready for the next track.
Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to Taste Test. I'm your host, Damian Lamar, and we're here in Studio One with Ace Wynn. Right now, we're going to listen to a song I wrote called Johnny B. Here's Johnny B. right here on Taste Test. How it tastes. exquisite thank you for sharing what inspired that song i was about a uh, a young man that uh, me and my family knew and uh, he had two young children uh, and he was killed during a horse riding accident uh, he was thrown from the horse and uh, uh, he uh, he was knocked unconscious and uh, he never woke up and uh we loved him dearly, and it really, really hurt his mother, obviously. And uh, I wrote this song for his mother. And his name was uh, jo- Johnny Beedenball, and uh, uh, we miss him. And uh, it was just a tough time for everyone. But I wrote that song to console his mother, and uh, I really hope uh, she she's had the opportunity <laughs> Uh, to hear it, but I, I put it to words. I sort of put the pain to words uh, to console her and myself as well. So yeah. that's how it came about. The beautiful thing about music and song, songwriting. Mm. Thank you again for sharing. No um, before we go, t- tell our, our listeners um, how they can find you. I'm everywhere. Uh, just type my name in, A-C-E space W-I-N-N. Uh, first and last name, or you can type it in as a single phrase. Uh, you can go to my website, acewin.com, A-C-E-W-I-N-N.com. I'm also on Facebook. You can type, you know, go to Facebook and type my name in, acewin, and I'll pop up there. I have two pages there. I'm also on Twitter, acewin. Uh, I'm also on Instagram, acewin3127. That's A-C-E-W-I-N-N 3127. You can find me there as well. And I love uh, clicking on a lot of Damien's posts and <laughs> liking them. So I'm sure you'll see me in and about if you're if you're listening to Taste Test. You'll, I'm sure you'll see me click on a lot of things he does. Well, again, it's been a pleasure. Thank you again for spending so much time with us here. Uh, 
any final words, anything you want to leave us with or you want to play a little music and say goodbye that way? I can do both. Uh, live your dream and always remember, turn poison into medicine. You are the key, as my sensei would say. Beautiful. Little thing called love Think I wanna run away with you 